have um, Rush Shearer, and you guys have heard him uh, a couple times, so he, he says the same thing, so you guys can just tune out, put up with it for a little while, and then tell him he did a good job at the end. That's really all we do on Sundays, right? Okay, thank you. We got a good, confident no there. But Russ, come on up, and um, he's got a great message for us today. So I just, I just pray that you guys will um, listen closely to what he's saying, be convicted, and do something with it, right? Amen? Give, give Russ a hand. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for letting us come and letting us be here with you today. My family's here with me, and so if you haven't seen them already, you can say hi on the way out or whatever today. But uh, I wanted to start out and just say thank you so much for your partnership. Thanks for when you guys have made a significant investment in us and it gave us uh, a, really a start, uh, both, I mean, financially, you've prayed for us, you've prayer, prayer walked with us, some of you have come down and served with us, uh, you've provided some critical mass in the early stages, and uh, so many things, and we are just so thankful for, for the ways that you have invested and partnered with us, and I just want to give you a, just a one-minute snapshot here, but Ignite is doing great. Uh, we are we just celebrated our one-year anniversary as a church in September, so yay! But uh, we uh, we are ce- we're growing. We're celebrating. We've got about a hundred people or so on average. And uh, what I'm most excited about is just what God is doing in people's lives. Um, one of my favorite stats from the first year of our ministry is that 31% of our regular attenders have made a life-changing decision for Christ in the first year. Isn't that cool? So praise God for that. And, and it's fun to have stats like that, but we actually get to see people's lives. You know what I mean? And see that get lived out. And man, I'll, I'll tell you what, I mean, when, when you get to see uh, so many names and faces come to mind, stories come to mind, but when you get to see people who, um, one guy I think of in particular, you know, came to us, I don't know, early this spring and was going through a horrible season. Uh, his wife had left him, uh, just had hit bottom and doesn't have much experience with, with God's stuff, uh, had turned to alcohol, had turned to some other things and just done the downward spiral and finally came to a point where he was just hopeless and sort of on the edge of uh, even considering taking his own life and came to us in that state and within the first couple of weeks he just had a heart that was wide open, heard the gospel and just turned, opened up his heart and life and his life has just been transformed. He's a guy that I'm, he's, he's discovered freedom, he's found purpose and hope um, actually, there's restoration happening in the marriage, which is jaw-dropping. I mean, just God is doing tremendous things. He's, he's my running partner, also a guy I'm discipling right now. And just there's so many stories like that of God just busting in and doing what only he does, right? Of just, of just transforming lives and opening hearts and making people new. And uh, so praise God. I mean, just thank you. And you guys have a part of that. That's, that's the fruit of your generosity, of your partnership, of your prayers. So thank you so much um, for partnering with us. I'm going to turn the page. Uh, I want to start out the message today. We're doing a message on bold faith. I want to start out uh, sharing a story. Uh, it's from a book by a guy by the name of Erwin McManus. Love him as a storyteller. And I'm going to just share this story with you. True story. Crazy, but true. Okay, listen to this. He says, For several years, we rented two, a two-story house in L.A. He said, Both my kids, kids spent a tremendous uh, part of their lives, uh, of their childhood, excuse me, enjoying that home. A unique feature of the house was that a small window uh, from the second-story bathroom opened a small path onto the roof. He said, I always thought that one of my kids would find their way up on the sink, right up into that little window, and would wander out in the roof. He's like, But... Uh, 
he said, it just seemed like the kind of thing that I would do or my, my brothers would do when we were kids. Early one evening, he said, Kim, his wife, and I were out in the front yard when all of a sudden we heard a little voice calling us from up on the roof. As soon as Kim saw him, her nurturing instinct kicked in. She started commanding him, get back in the house this instant. He says, I have to admit, I was sort of proud at that moment. <laughs> He's like, but what he said next totally surprised me. Looking past his mom, he asked me if he could jump. When Aaron shouted, Dad, can I jump? Again, Kim answered on my behalf, No, you can't jump. You get back into the house this instant. But he asked again, as if he hadn't heard his mother, he looked at me again and said, Dad, can I jump? And he said, I know what you're supposed to do. You're ne- a dad is never supposed to go against a mom, right? He's like, I'm only telling you what actually happened. I said, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> he said, really? I said, yeah, sure, go ahead and jump. Kim looked at me as if I was out of my mind and asked, what do you think you're doing? In sort of an explanation, I asked Aaron, my son, Aaron, are you going to jump sometime? He said, yeah, uh, I think so. And I said, okay, well, I'd, I'd rather have you jump now so that if you jump and you break your legs, we can take you to the hospital. It made perfect sense to me. He responded, Dad, do you think I'll make it? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm sure you'll make it. The laws of gravity, you know, kind of pretty much ensure that you're going to come down. Now, in what condition you'll be at that moment, I'm not sure. He said, okay, I'm going to jump. I said, buddy, before you do, one last suggestion. I said, buddy, try to clear the concrete and land on the grass. It's a lot softer. And he said, oh, good idea, Dad. And so with that, he stepped back as far as he could, and he starts running towards the edge of the roof. Just before he takes his first step, he says, Dad, will you catch me? And he says, I'll try. And so with that, he jumps and leaps off the roof. And Erwin McManus says, and I almost caught him. You know, it's like so close, but he fell right through my hands, landed. He said, at any rate, he's healed up by now. There's really nothing. No, he said he was fine. He's totally fine. But this is what was, this is what was fascinating to me. He closes by saying, you know, I look back on that moment and you might think you should not be a parent. <laughs> he said, but, but, but what was going through my mind right then was that there's going to be another day when another big step of faith is going to be facing him, and he's going to have to decide if he should crawl back in the window and take the safe route, or if he will trust his father and jump. He said, I see so many people that grew up in some kind of church, and they walk away because it's just so incredibly boring and mundane and safe. And I wanted Aaron to know that just like his father had called him to jump that day, that his heavenly father, God, if he would learn to listen to his voice, is going to call him to such an extraordinary life that he'll have to take a deep breath, he'll have to feel the fear in his gut, and he'll have to jump. Isn't that a great story? Oh, man. I don't know why, but I think it's true. I think for too long, Christ followers, people in the church, have associated a life of faith with a life that is safe, that is comfortable, that is easy, and that's predictable. But that's anything from true. In fact, as you read through the pages of God's book, you see the opposite again and again and again and again. Following Jesus, right? Following God does not lead to a safe, predictable, nicely, right? Nicely packaged sort of life. But oftentimes, God will lead us to take great, bold, courageous steps of faith, and he'll say, trust me. 
I was thinking, I mean, I was just flipping through scripture this week and thinking of story after story. I was thinking of the life of Gideon, for instance. You remember the story of Gideon? And he's, he's commanding an army, and he's coming up another army, and God sends 22,000 of his soldiers home. And then he looks at it and says, okay, well, you're outnumbered now by the other guys, but the, I still don't like the odds. So he takes another 9,700 men, and he sends him home, leaving Gideon with an army of 300 facing an an opposing army of thousands and thousands and thousands. And he says, yeah, it's about right. <laughs> does that sound safe? Does that sound, does that sound like an army you'd want to be a part of? <laughs> right? It's scary. I mean, that required huge faith. Or think about Elijah on top of Mount Carmel, right? The people of, of Israel have been swayed, uh, so many of them, uh, to a false god, a god by the name of Baal, right? In the and uh, people are following Baal instead of the ways of God. And Elijah sort of calls for a cosmic showdown of sorts. And he says, okay, he calls the whole country together and says, let's end this thing once and for all. Let's have two sacrifices. We'll, we'll, we'll put kind of two altars here, make two sacrifices, one for the prophets of Baal and one for the living God. And then the prophet will, will, will each take a turn praying. And the prophets of Baal will have a turn praying and they'll, they'll call, let's, let's call down fire from heaven. And then I'll pray that God would send fire from heaven. Whichever God answers by fire, he is the one true God. The other one is false. And he says, just to top it all off, whoever's God doesn't come through for him, let's kill all them. <laughs> right? Let's kill the prophets. Now, I mean, the, the prophets of Baal go first, and they start praying, they start praying, and, and Elijah starts trash-talking them. He starts taunting them, saying, maybe your God can't hear you, right? Maybe you should pray louder. Maybe, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's got other things going on. And then the moment comes, and you know the rest of the story, but imagine if you didn't know the rest of the story. The moment comes when it's Elijah's turn. Now, can you imagine? I mean, you set up this whole thing. What if God doesn't come through? What if he decides he doesn't want to answer by fire right now? What if he doesn't answer the way you think he should? Does that sound safe or risky? Or, I mean, go on. How about Abraham? I was thinking about Abraham this week and thinking God says, you know, Abraham, I want you to pack up you and your family. I want you to go on a trip. We're going to move, but I'm not going to tell you where. You're not really going to know how long. You don't know where you're going. There's no plan. There's no roadmap. There's no anything, but I got this. Come follow me. Trust me. And Abraham says, okay, but then Abraham has to go home and explain to Mrs. Abraham. How do you think that conversation went? Well, honey, I mean, I have no idea what we're doing, but I think God's calling us to just pack up and leave, right? Does that sound risky to you? It sounds crazy, right? Or how about David says to a young boy, I want you to stand before a giant named Goliath with no sword, no armor, just a few stones and a sling. It's okay, you'll probably be fine, right? (laughs) Tremendous, took tremendous courage to follow him. Think of Paul. Paul, the good news is that uh, I'm going to send you to, and you're going to have opportunity to share the gospel before kings, maybe before the emperor, maybe before Caesar himself. The bad news is you're going to have to get arrested and your life is going to be on the line in order for that to happen. Sounds safe or risky? Absolutely. Think about uh, Philip. God says, run up beside a chariot, strike up a conversation with a guy that you don't know and share the gospel with him. 
Sounds like craziness. Think of Paul and Silas in prison for talking about Jesus and God busts them out. Sound boring? Sound predictable? Not at all. Jesus tended to do this with his followers time after time after time. He called them to, he called his followers to leave the comfort of home, to leave family, sometimes even jobs to follow him. And then he would put them in crazy kind of situations and, and ask them to trust him. One time he gathers together a crowd of thousands and thousands of people and he turns to his disciples he says, you give them something to eat. Uh, right? Uh, geez, we don't have food, and where are we spo- how are we supposed to do that? Does that sound crazy? It's not a safe, comfortable kind of endeavor. Another time he says to Peter, he says, Pete, hop out of the boat and come to me on the water. Uh, I don't know about that. He says to a few of his followers, not long into this venture, Jesus sends out a few fishermen and tax collectors and says, go proclaim the good news, heal those who have leprosy, drive out demons. They'd be like, um, we don't know how to do that, right? He says, trust me, come and follow me. Sounds safe or comfortable? God used each of these men and women to change the world, to impact their families, their communities, sometimes their entire countries for his sake, to transform the world around them. But that didn't happen by taking the path of least resistance. It didn't come from playing it safe or making it all about them. I don't think there's a single page in God's book that would lead us to believe that life is going to be all safe and comfortable if you follow Jesus. This is just not the kind of warm, fuzzy Christianity that God talks about in his Bible. This is Christ following for bold men and for bold women of faith. Come and follow me, Jesus says. Come and follow me on an adventure of a lifetime. It'll be incredible. It'll change your life. You'll get to see and know my power and my presence in amazing ways. But it will involve risk. It will. It will involve you stepping out in faith, learning to trust me in bold and sometimes crazy sounding kind of ways. But if you come and follow me, If you come and trust me, you might want to buckle up because it's going to be a good ride. That is the Christianity of the Bible. Truth be told, friends, God has good plans for you and me. In your marriage, in your family, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, he has great plans for you. He has great plans for First Baptist. I'm super excited about what God has in store in this next chapter in your life as a church but he's, he wants to use you. He's going to work in you and through you in significant ways. But you will never experience the life that God has for you by playing it safe, by taking it easy, by coasting, by following the path of least resistance. That is not following Jesus. He will call you out. He'll require you to change and to step out and to follow him by faith. He'll, he'll require you to take some risks and to trust him for the results. God's not really that interested in keeping you or me safe and comfy. Instead, he wants to show us his power and his glory and his his proficiency and his plans, his self-sufficiency on our behalf. If you'll step out and follow him, you'll be in the ride for your ride of a lifetime. Today, I want to talk and learn about some of this some of these principles from a book in the Bible called Joshua. If you've got your Bibles, pull them out to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to kind of camp out in 3 in the first part of chapter 4 today. Joshua chapter 3 and 4. 
a little bit of background. Some of you will remember the context here. Forty years earlier in the story, the people of Israel had been living as slaves in Egypt. And God freed them miraculously, miraculously from Pharaoh, right? He led them through the Red Sea on dry ground and into the desert on their way to the promised land. But instead of trusting and following God, the people got scared. It looked too hard. It was too big of a risk to follow God into this land that he had promised them. The people that were there were scary. They were big. They were warriors. There's no way we could win. And so they decide to play it safe. They decide to take it easy. And as a result, they spin around in circles in the desert for 40 years. Remember the story? That's the background. At the end of the 40-year period, Moses The great man of God, the great leader dies. They're camped out across the Jordan River, sort of the barrier between them and the promised land, the the land that God had promised them, a land that he describes as a land flowing with milk and honey, which means it was good. It was a good land. He says, this is the land I'm giving to you if you'll come and follow me, if you'll trust me, right? We've got good stuff in store. But there's still those armies across there. There's still those giants living in the land. And so it's in that context that we pick up our story here in Joshua uh, chapter 3, 1 through 5. It says this, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped out before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, prepare yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Let's stop there and just want to kind of comment on stuff as we go through and learn some lessons. The first thing that I thought was interesting in here is, is uh, God says, follow me, right? That's kind of the first, commandment, uh, the first part, the first commandment that he gives them is you're going to follow me. We're going to take out the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is a picture of what? What do you think? Picture of God's physical presence with him. Literally, it's, it's sort of a foreshadowing of Jesus and his presence, his mercy, his power, all that kind of thing, right? And so this is a, a tangible sort of thing they carry around to remind them that God is with them, to remind them that uh, God's presence and power is, is there and leading them. So he says, here's what's going to happen. We're going to send the Ark of the Covenant out first, a, a, a visible and tangible reminder of God's presence, and you are to follow him. Follow me, he says. It's real similar to what Jesus says in the New Testament, right? When he's recruiting uh, disciples, he says to them, come and follow me. Don't do this on your own. I don't care how smart you think you are, how strong you think you are. You're never going to get to the promised land. You're never going to get to step into the life I have for you on your own. It begins with setting your sights, your focus, your heart, aligning your lives with me. And he says, come and follow me. This is the starting point for a life of faith, isn't it? This is where if, if we don't get this part, nothing else we talk about today will make a hill of beans difference. Because it starts with us learning to follow Jesus, with us opening up our hearts and our lives to him and saying, God, I want you to be the leader of my life. 
I need you to come and save me, you to come and set the direction, set the course in ways where I've strayed, in ways where I'm relying on myself. God, would you break me? Would you bring me back? Because I need and I want to follow you. Follow me, he says. Let's go on, verse 6. says this, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it up and they went ahead of them. Uh, And the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go out and stand in the river. And this is the second thing, and we're going to kind of camp out here for a little bit, kind of the bulk of the message. But what he's really saying is, would, would you trust me? Would you go and do these things? Would you take a step of faith, God says? We'll come back to that in a minute because it's, it's bigger and worse than you think. Uh, let's go on. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites, and all kinds of other ites, right? (laughs) He says, see, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now to understand the significance of what's going on here, you have to kind of understand a little bit about the river Jordan. The Jordan was symbolically in Israel a barrier of sorts. It's what stood between the people of God who were on one side and the life, the good land, the life that God has for them on the other side. It was a barrier. It's what stood in the way. It's something that they have to get across in order to live the new life that God has for them. The Jordan River actually starts up on a mountain called Mount Hermon and it comes down to the Sea of Galilee and eventually keeps flowing down into the Dead Sea. Mount Hermon, where it starts, has an elevation of about 7,000 feet above sea level. It's quite high. The Dead Sea, on the other end, is the lowest body of water on earth. It's 1,290 feet below sea level. So in a relatively short period of time, the water travels more than 8,000 feet down in only a few miles. What does that mean? It means that the water flows quite fast and can make it difficult for you to get across this river Usually, however, it wasn't that big of a deal because the river wasn't that big. It wasn't that deep. These days, the government sort of uses some of it for irrigation, but in those days, in the days of Joshua, it was a little bit bigger. But for the most part, not a terribly difficult thing to cross. Maybe three to six feet deep in some of the lower parts. So it was possible for you to ford across because there were no bridges. But here's where things start to get a little bit interesting. Verse 15 says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. During this time, the river was at flood stage. Think that creates issues? Flood stage. Well, we know a little bit about floods, don't we? But here, right, in the Jordan River, when it's at flood stage, it means quite literally there's no way to get across. It's just impossible. There's no bridges. There's no jet skis in that day. You're not going to hop in a jet boat and get across. You can't ford it. This was quite problematic. They've come all this way. Here's the promised land in eyesight, just on the other side of the river, but there's no way to get across. And they wonder, what in the world did God get us into? What has Joshua led us here to do? Come on, what are we supposed to do here? 
And God says, I'm going to make a way through. I'm going to allow you to cross the Jordan River. I want you to go down and I want you to step into the River Jordan. And when you do, I will make a way. But here's where it gets real interesting, right? This is not like you go down to the beach by the river where there's maybe a foot or two of water you step in. Maybe it goes up to your ankles or, or up to your knees on the first step. That kind of thing. It's not like that. At flood stage, the river is 10 to 20 feet deep in your first step and the water's moving very quickly. Remember that 8,000 foot drop? So let's pull up a couple of those pictures, the next, next ones. All right, here's some, some flooding pictures from around here. We've seen the river flood. Last year was particularly bad. Remember this? The whole downtown of Peoria flooded. I know Pekin flooded parts of it, right? I mean, there's all kinds of, of damage done. Sometimes it gets super high, right? That's probably what? What's a stop sign? Eight feet deep? So imagine maybe a couple feet worse than that on your first step. <laughs> Can you imagine? Except now let's combine this with 8,000 foot drop. So combine a flooded river with rapids and we're getting pretty close. Water moving very quickly. If you were to step in, it would sweep you away like that. You'd be gone. And God says, hey, I've got a great idea. First of all, I want you to follow me. And then he brings them to the edge of the Jordan and he says, okay, now I want you to trust me. I want you to step in. I want you to step into the water. And trust me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the water. It'll be fine. But you're going to have to take that step. Sound safe? Sound comfortable? If I was the priest in front carrying the, Ar- the Ark of the Covenant, by the way, it weighs almost 300 pounds. So it sounds more like bait to me, right? I mean, you're carrying a weight, and you're going to step into a 10 to 20 foot drop of water. What's going to happen to you if, the water does, if God doesn't come through? You're going to the bottom of the drink, right? I mean, you're just going to sink straight down. And so, and so God says, no, it's okay. Trust me. If I, was, if I was the priest in front that had to take that first step, I think I'd be saying, you know, I was in first yesterday. Maybe you guys want to come up and take the first step. You know, I mean, I think that'll be fine. Let's, let's work out some sort of rotation thing. I think that'd be better. It'd be real easy to be afraid at that point, wouldn't it? You can't see God doing anything. There's nothing that's happened so far. You have to take that step before you can see and experience what God's doing. Man, Israel faced an obstacle, a challenge. The Jordan River is a barrier. They've got to get across it to get to the life that God has for them. And God's power is sufficient. He's big enough. He's strong enough for the job. God will deliver them. God will make a way. But they have to take the first step. Or they would not see God's power. They would not see his might, his, his display of his faithfulness and his sufficiency and his power. They would not see it until they trusted him and took that first step. God says, I want you to take a st- one step into the Jordan and then you'll see me at work. He's teaching his people how to, about trust. And you know what? God consistently teaches us the same lessons over and over and over again, doesn't he? First he says, follow me, and then comes the step of faith. He raises the water table, he brings us to a challenge, and he tells us to step out, to jump, so to speak, and to trust him. I feel like our family's been learning this lesson a lot in the last couple of years as uh, we were in Wisconsin and we were, we were pastoring a church that we had started 14 years prior, and things were going really well. The church was doing great. We were surrounded by people we loved. Uh, it was a ministry that we loved. I loved leading there. I'd had tons in the bank with our leaders and with uh, friends. And God kind of kept bugging us and messing with us and saying, you know what? 
I'm calling you to step out and to do it again. To move away from a church that y'all love. To, to move away from friends that you love. To move away from safety, from a, a, a steady paycheck. And instead, I'm asking you to step out and to move to Peoria and start from scratch. And I have to say, I mean, it sounds really easy now. <laughs> but like, at that time, it's scary, isn't it? But, but God, how am I going to make a living? What if, what if the money doesn't come through so that we can get paid? What if nobody shows up? What if the church fails? What are we going to do? It seemed to me like the waters were moving too fast and they were too deep. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. It was tempting. Boy, was it tempting for us to play it safe and to say, you know what? I don't really like that edge. We'll kind of scoot back here. It's safe here. It's comfortable. We've got a church and a job and everything that we love. Maybe we should just take it easy. And yet if we would have, I just think of how much we would have missed out on. How much... How many times we would have seen God come through. How many lives we would have missed seeing God transform. How many people, people's lives could find freedom. And we'd have missed it. Because we played it safe. Instead of followed him into the adventure. We would have missed seeing him provide for us in jaw-dropping kinds of ways. Including a down payment for our home when we hadn't even sold our other home. We, were, we didn't have it. And God miraculously provided. Including... Uh, all of our support basically coming in in a three to four month period of time. I mean, crazy. All of, all of the uh, salary, insurance, all that stuff for three years came in like that. God just provided, parted the waters and made a way. Man, it's tempting sometimes to come back here and play it safe, but, but the River Jordan is where it's at, right? Stepping out in faith, following God, I mean, that's where the good stuff happens. That's where we get to see and know God at work. And he says, trust me and jump. You know, I wonder how God might be prompting you to do that these days, where he's saying, trust me and jump. I mean, it could be, uh, maybe he's speaking to you uh, in your marriage these days, and maybe things are not going well. Maybe you've got others fooled and you look good on the outside, but maybe things at home just are not going well. Maybe you haven't been really investing in your marriage or in your family the ways you know you should, the way he knows that God has called you to. Instead of loving your wife or your husband well or serving your family the way he has called you to, maybe you've just been coasting, kind of taking it easy. Maybe you've been comfy and cozy in the recliner with the remote on one side and the paper on the other, and you're sort of sliding through. And maybe God is, is nudging you and saying, man, it's time for you to step up and lead in your home and invest in your marriage you're like, God, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to invest in my kids. I don't know how to necessarily build my marriage. Maybe I don't want to. Maybe it's too much work. Maybe I don't want to have to go through the counseling that maybe is required. Maybe I don't want to try and figure out how to lead spiritually my family. But God's saying, would you trust me and step out? Would you take that step? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe there's people around you, uh, people, maybe neighbors or coworkers, maybe family members, and you're watching the trajectory of their life as they are moving further and further and further from God. And you're, wa- and you're watching them make choices. You're like, this is going to wreck them. And maybe the living God is nudging you, and he's prompting you, saying, move towards them. 
Would you love them? Would you serve them? Would, would you invite them over and embrace them? And as you do, would you pray for them and look for opportunities to point them to Jesus? The only source of hope, the only source of life, the one that they need, would you step out and trust me? And maybe that's a scary thought for you, right? You're like, I talking about, that's not really, it's like a pastor's job or something. That's not really my thing. But maybe God's saying, would you trust me and step out? Maybe it's a financial gig for you. Maybe, maybe you feel like the, the river waters are just sweeping you away and you're getting further and further and further in debt. Maybe you just feel like you can't keep up enough to pay the bills. Maybe God is saying, would you put me first in your finances? And it's scary. Maybe he's saying, you know what? You need to spend less so you can give more. And that's just a foreign thought. And you think, how in the world can I do that? I can't even pay the bills now for myself. How is that going to work? It doesn't work to put you first. But maybe God is saying, would you trust me and step out and see what I will do? Who knows? Maybe it's something different. (laughs) Maybe there's a relational thing going on and you've been hurt and you've been wounded. And man, truth be told, you're holding the grudge. Or you're refusing to forgive. You're refusing to reconcile. You're refusing to humble yourself and come back in relationship to somebody else. And maybe God has been nudging you and saying, you know what? It is time to put that away. Forgive as I have forgiven you. And maybe God's nudging. And you're saying, but God, what if they hurt me again? God, they don't deserve it. God, they don't. And maybe he's saying, would you trust me and jump? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's something completely different. I'm not sure specifically what God is saying to you, but I do know this. You won't ever get to see or experience the fullness of life that God has for you. You won't get to experience your promised land, so to speak, the way that God wants to use you, what he'll do in you and through you. You won't get to experience his power at work in the same way unless you take a step and trust him. That's where the good stuff is at. Verse 15, let's keep going. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And so the priests They actually follow him. They do it. They jump. They step in. And as soon as they do, right, the water upstream opens up and stops flowing. And the priest sort of yelled, Geronimo. They jump in, and they get to see the living God at work. A miracle is performed that day. It's incredible. And they got to be a part of it. I want you to notice something here, though. The water stopped flowing upstream at a a town called Adam, they said, or Adam, Scholars estimate that that town is more than 19 miles upstream from, from where the, the Israelites stood, far from what they could see. God was at work, but they couldn't see it at the time. They couldn't tell until after the fact, when the water stopped flowing. God performed the miracle upstream, and then it took a little bit to get there, but it was out of sight. Maybe some of us may need to be reminded of this today. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you've been following Jesus and he's brought you to the shores of the Jordan and asked you to trust him and jump in and you feel like you have. You really do. You sort of stepped out. You've jumped in and it seems like your life has just gotten swept away while God seemed mysteriously absent. Maybe it was a marriage and you were faithful, you were loving, but you woke up one day and your husband or your wife was gone. Or maybe you've been following hard after God and you walked into work one day and you got a pink slip. Maybe it's a, a, a doctor's office you walked into and you got a diagnosis that rocked your world and left you feeling like you're being swept away by the river. I don't know, there's something encouraging though about this for, for me and I, I think there should be for you as well. Sometimes when we can't see it or we can't feel it, sometimes when we're confused and hurting and disillusioned, God is at work upstream in our lives, whether we know it or not, whether we can see it or not, it doesn't really matter. He may have already performed a miracle and you just can't see it yet. Maybe the work that he's doing is in you. Maybe he's teaching you to follow him and to know him and reflect him to a world around you. Maybe he's preparing you for the next part of your story and he's preparing, doing the preparation upstream. Maybe he is working to bring about beauty from ashes and a redemption story. He loves those kind of stories. He specializes in them. Remember, he's the God who has at work upstream from you and from me. Where is God when he seems silent? When you can't see him? When you're facing disappointment of the worst kind in your life? Well, sometimes he's at work upstream, out of sight. The Israelites here could only see the problems that were right in front of them that day. The raging river, the barrier that stood between them and God. And they could have concluded that God was absent, that he wasn't coming through, that he wasn't working. But the truth is, if they would have thought that, they would have been wrong. They couldn't see it, but God had already performed a miracle upstream. And I don't know. I think that's an encouraging word for you and for me. Even in eras where things aren't going the way we think they are, God is at work upstream. Let's finish up chapter 4, verse 4. A couple more verses, we'll be done. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, uh, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? And this is the next the part that I want. Tell them, right? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the, uh, when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It's to be a reminder of what I've done. The third thing right here, real quick, is share me, God says. He says, first follow me, then trust me and jump in, and then finally share me. Don't forget me. Don't forget what I've done, but share it with your kids. Share it with your grandkids. Share it with your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, whoever. As you get to see God at work, Pass it on to others. Build a legacy of sorts so that all that pass by will remember what God has done. Tell them God made a way for us to get across this uncrossable barrier. God did it. It was amazing. They get to the other side and God says, go back, pick up 12 stones and make sort of an Ebenezer, a, a remembrance of sorts so that when people walk by, they will remember what I've done for you. And when they see it and they ask, 
make sure you tell them. You know, there's some of us here that we have followed God. We've opened our lives and our hearts to God, and we've said, you know what? I will follow you, God. And we, he's called us to the, to the river, and he's asked us to step out, and we have followed him, and we've plunged in, we've taken the jump. And maybe today, God's word to you, maybe he's just nudging you and saying, you know, make sure you share those stories with others so that they can know too. They can know that God worked a miracle in your life. Some of us have trusted him, and he's brought about healing in our lives. Some of us have trusted him financially, and he worked in unbelievable ways to free us from debt and to provide for us in ways that are just unbelievable. We've seen his power and his faithfulness in our finances, and maybe God is saying to you today, share me, right? Maybe your marriage was once dead, but God resurrected it, and he's done a a remarkable work, and he's saying, man, would you share me? Maybe there's been addiction in your life, and as you turn to Christ, you open it up, you followed him, maybe he's brought freedom to you, and you know what? Your kids and your grandkids, your spouses, those around you, your neighbors, your coworkers, they need to know that there is a God that's living and active and at work in his people. And maybe, maybe God's just nudging you today saying, would you share it? But that's the path to the promise. And that's the path to the life God calls us to, right? First he says, would you come and follow me? Would you open up your heart and your life? Would you learn, open up the pages of this book, right? And learn who I am. Learn to come and follow me. Open up your ears. Attune them to the whispers of the Spirit. Learn how to follow me through life. And then he'll raise the water table. He'll bring us to the edge. And he'll say, Will you trust me and step out? And maybe there's, there's an area that God's nudging you today and saying, you know, you know what it is, an area where God's calling you to trust him and to jump in. And maybe today you just need to open up your heart and say, Jesus, I want, I want your way. I'll follow you with your strength. And maybe there's images, faces, names, people that come to mind that you know what? We just need to share what the living God has done in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, that's, that's our cry today, Lord. I, I pray that you would teach us and lead us and transform us to be bold followers of you, courageous followers. Father, would you teach us uh, to open up our hearts and lives to you, God, and follow you. Forgive us for doing it on our own, in our own strength, our own sufficiency. Forgive us for ways that we have wandered and strayed and sinned. And God, we just come back in need of your forgiveness, in need of your grace and love. Would you wash us, cleanse us, and lead us? We want to follow you. Father, for areas that, we, uh, that you're nudging us to, to trust you and to jump, God, to give us courage and boldness to follow you and to jump in to the waters these days. Whether it's a marriage or, or a ministry, maybe that you're calling us to step up in, maybe it's uh, as a church or whatever. God, we, we just we want to be men and women with bold, courageous faith that we will trust you and follow you where you lead. So give us courage to do that. And finally, God, use us, send us out from this place to share what you've done in our lives, to share your goodness, your glory, your faithfulness to a world and generation that desperately needs Jesus. We love you, God. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Russ. Um, let me just ask a couple questions, and then I'll let you guys go. But um, is God getting your attention? I, I hope so. I mean, let me just explain. As I was listening to Russ, especially first service, how this works out, and whether or not you believe God's just random things or coincidences or 
or what, but last week, I don't know if you remember, I shared about the necessity of risk-taking love. And, and how that came about was that the guy who was scheduled to speak got pneumonia, and so I prayed about it, and God kind of seemed to be indicating to me that he wanted me to talk about that message. Um, I didn't tell Russ what to talk on. I just told him, you know, do you just deal with, you know, we'll just trust that God leads you in the right direction. And so we're sitting here today, and he's talking about bold faith. You take what, it, take what you will from it, but maybe God is calling us to, to start jumping into the Jordan like that, to just to, to, to maybe do that in your way as God has led you according to your spiritual gifts. I'm not going to try and dictate that. But I want to say, listen to what God might be calling you to, and then get really courageous and trust God. One, one phrase that I've, always, that, I've, that I've come to really think is that God always calls his people to things that are much bigger than themselves. So if you feel like you could accomplish what God is calling you to, it's probably not God, because he's a little bit bigger than that. But if it freaks you out a little, it scares you just a little bit, it's probably what God's calling you to. He wants you to take take that risk and then look back and be in awe at what God decided to do for you for, for a moment. Amen.